Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast, the show that features artists, entrepreneurs, experts, and commentators that will give you the right knowledge, planning, and guidance so you can preserve your assets and enjoy your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at wealthactually.com. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes. It is neither investment, legal, nor tax advice and does not represent the opinions of the employers of the host or guest. And now, here's your host, Fraser Rice. Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast. I'm Fraser Rice. Defining the term supply chain and understanding what a company should control and what to outsource has never been more important to a business. Strategists at the executive and board level face major global flare-ups that threaten inputs, huge pools of data to analyze, and increased complexity of logistics as customer preferences develop, almost to the point of irrationality. Petit Panda has spent his career safeguarding, managing, de-risking, and optimizing supply chains. He's worked with major companies like Sony and Altria on these problems and joins us today to discuss the challenges and opportunities of today's supply chain framework. Welcome aboard, Lalit. Thank you, Fraser. It's great to talk to you today. Well, we're recent acquaintances really through the Private Directors Association. And one of the things that I was struck by your experiences was your in-depth knowledge of supply chains. And I thought it was particularly germane at this point to talk a little bit about that. We're dealing with a lot of geopolitical issues. We're dealing with a lot of political issues domestically, et cetera. And for a lot of people who are thinking about investments or their businesses or anything like that, the term supply chain means a lot and very little all at the same time, or at least to me. And I thought it'd be good to have an expert talk a little bit about it. Sure. Yeah. Glad to. When you look at your listeners, why should they be interested in supply chains in a wealth management podcast? I think it impacts everything from wealth to how companies make money, what risks people need to be aware of to their living standards, the cost and quality of products. Everything revolves around the supply chain. And as you know, it was something that was happening in the back end and nobody really noticed it until COVID hit and we had all the supply chain disruptions that caused tremendous shortages in the market from everything from paper towels to cars. So people sort of woke up to see this impact of this very complicated process from mining materials in the ground to getting products in your hand that you use on a daily basis. And supply chains have been historically a huge part of how we have progressed as a society. So I'm always very happy to talk about that. And my background has been in supply chains as well as information technology. And it's interesting how these two things are coming together. And we can explore some of that in this chat. But I've worked in like seven different industries and I've seen the complexity and the opportunities of the supply chain. So happy to chat with you. So when you're thinking about supply chains, maybe take us through your background a little bit and help us think about what the supply chain means from you, maybe from the beginning all the way through the delivery of a product to somebody and where you see it, both at the intangible information technology level and maybe more to the tangible where some of your other experiences lie. Sure. I sort of wandered serendipitously into supply chain. Those days when I was starting out my career in sales and marketing, 
I was with a British company and they had this very extensive management training program. And halfway through the program, they offered me this role in logistics and I had no clue <laughs> what logistics was. And it became a lifelong passion after that because I went into this field and it has transformed from what was called in those days physical distribution now to value chain and supply chains and the interesting thing of this field is that there is so many trade-offs that we have to consider that it is always very interesting because there's so many variables. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But So I went from there across seven different industries, as I was mentioning, through public, private equity, and venture cap-backed companies, mostly global because supply chains are global. And over time... The supply chains depended a lot on the technology, and technology has really transformed uh, supply chains. And that's how I got involved in that part as well. And those two things have been my passion over the years. I've enjoyed working on those two different fields and functions across a lot of different companies. So let's talk a little bit about what supply chains are. So it's a five-step process that brings product to market for consumers. And the first stage is what we call develop, which is to develop products and concepts. And then from there, we go to plan, which is planning the whole supply chain. Where is it going to be sourced from? How is it going to be delivered? What volumes will be required, etc. And then we go to the next step, which is the start of the execution phase, where we start sourcing different raw materials, different components to build a product. And then we build the product, which is called the make phase of the supply chain, where we are making the product somewhere in the world. And this make process is not just at one place. It's at multiple levels. I'll talk a little bit about that after this. And then the last phase is the delivery. You know what you see now when you pick up your app for Amazon and you have your product delivered sometimes the same day. This is the phase where logistics and transportation come together to get the product in your hands from wherever it's stored. So these five processes happen in order for a product to be consumed. So the big five, as you say there, is it usual within companies for all five to be sort of managed by one person or group? Or do you break that down into experts into each of those and then they, in a sense, sort of report up and maybe sometimes there's some dislocation between or lack of communication between them. And I guess that's where the speed bumps start to pile up. Yeah, absolutely. Great question, Fraser. Actually, there are actually myriads of actors involved in a supply chain. There's not just one. I mean, within the organization, obviously, there are functional groups that handle each of those five steps. So development is management, new product development, planning is a function in and of itself. Then you have the sourcing, which is sourcing and procurement, and the manufacturing, which is a make part, and the logistics and transportation. But supply chains are not single tier anymore. There's not a seller and a buyer in a supply chain. There are so many suppliers and they are classified into tiers or echelons as we call it. And it is interesting how complicated it becomes because you might, let's say, buy a T-shirt and you think one company made it and delivered it to you, but actually the cotton was sourced somewhere. It was shipped by some transportation companies all the way to China where it was converted to a fabric and then it went to Bangladesh where it was 
cotton sized and stitched and then it was taken from there and transported across the ocean to a warehouse where this was all assorted and shipped to retailers and the retailers then sold it to you. So there's lots of different actors in it. And there's lots of complexity in the supply chain because of that and lots of handoffs. And that's why supply chains are so interesting because it's difficult to for some demon to wrap their heads around, you know, how many different steps are involved in this process and how many different people and the companies and providers are involved in getting that product into your hand. What is the, it's tough to say that there would be a best practice, but what is the thinking around having as many parts of the supply chain under one company versus laying them off to different vendors and suppliers in terms of sort of the balance between letting experts do what they're best at versus having more control over it, maybe at the sacrifice of some of that expertise, but in furtherance of control and maybe pricing, that type of scenario. In your career, was there any sort of best practice around that? Or was that something that would develop maybe organically within the development of the company and ultimately something that you sort of twist the dials around to try to maximize? Yeah, I mean, long back, companies were vertically integrated. They built everything from every component that went into their product, and that's how Ford built their Model T car. But if you look at automotive companies, for instance, they are not really manufacturers. They are assemblers. You know, every component in the car is made by a different company, and automotive companies bring them together and build the car for you. So the reason why that has happened, you know, going back over time to Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations is that there is specialization, there is a division of labor, and then there are country advantages. And every country has some specific either resource availability or skills or ecosystem of suppliers. And that's why we see this complexity around when we started this conversation around geopolitical uncertainty is because supply chains have become diversified and global, mainly because of the benefits of specialization that come along with the division of the process into multiple stages and companies focused on individual stages of the process and generating the efficiencies and the benefits of specialization from that. So just like we have our football teams in America, very specialized in roles, and you have an offense team and a defense team, they're completely different. The same way a supply chain is composed of highly specialized providers. And that's been the trend in terms of best practice to kind of assemble a supply chain where the best of the breed in terms of suppliers are brought together to bring the product most cost effectively and with all the functional features that you are used to, to the benefit. So for instance, you take Apple, Apple designs their products. They don't really manufacture themselves. They have lots of providers and manufacture. The same with a major company like NVIDIA, for instance, they make the world's most complicated chips that are driving artificial intelligence, but they don't make the chips. They design the chips and there are companies in Taiwan, in China, in other countries that provide the components that go into building those chips and finally they are sold under their brands. So that's been the kind of trend towards best practices to manage and orchestrate the various actors that are there in the supply chain and deliver a product that their consumers will be wowed by in terms of quality and price. 
So getting back to the geopolitical for a minute, maybe even going back to NAFTA in the 90s, it seems like the world has become used to sort of a friendly trade environment, maybe something where there are fewer geopolitical conflicts. But we're now in a world where everything from the Ukraine to the Middle East to Taiwan, et cetera, has maybe made people a little bit more defensive as far as either building redundancies so that they don't have their supply chains chopped up or otherwise making some sacrifices to make sure that they can fulfill deliveries, et cetera. Is that a cross current that you're seeing today? And if so, how do you look at that going forward? Yeah, so supply chains have been constantly changing and evolving and becoming global, as we had talked about earlier. Many companies and countries as well have been talking about reducing risks by multi-shoring and not depending on one country or the other. And one of the things behind this is while there is a pushback towards the globalization and the supply chain, In some respects, it's inevitable. The complexity of the products that we consume in the current world, they are composed of lots of different components and raw materials that are global. You can't get an electric car without lithium these days, and the lithium is not available for us here in the U.S. It has to come from some other country. So even though we want more control over the supply chain, We have to live in a world where there are multiple actors and countries involved in the production of something. So I think you can take the cross-currents that are happening and try and rearrange the supply chain to reduce the risk, but you can't eliminate the risks that are there. And so I think the key here is that countries realize they are interdependent. Nobody's independent in this complex world that we live in. So my guess is that it is a pendulum, which is swung in the early part of this century towards highly globalized markets and supply chains, which is how China sort of grew so dramatically over the last couple of decades. But it's shifting now towards a more protectionist sort of environment. And eventually the pendulum will swing back again because the environment is always continuously shifting. And one other thing that I wanted to point around this geopolitical thing is that there is this thing called ecosystems in supply chains. You can't get the benefits of cost without having a critical mass of suppliers in a specific geography to improve the speed with which you can get and the costs at which you can get a product. So there is a trade-off here also in terms of like trying to become more protectionist might lead to an increase in costs, which could result in inflation. And that could be detrimental to our interests as well. So there is just like in supply chain, you have to balance a lot of trade-offs. This is another trade-off that has to be taken into consideration is Geopolitical considerations are not the only drivers of managing a supply chain. It's also the cost trade-offs and the availability of materials. You know, people went from the best quality to the best quality at the most optimal cost. And I think it's going to be very difficult for consumers to go back to quality at whatever cost. So that balance has to be maintained. 
So as we look at some of the huge advances that have taken place in the last few decades vis-a-vis transportation and information technology, how do you think about that as far as the rate of efficiency improvement that we've seen in terms of information transfer and communication and then ultimately getting things and products to people that, that last mile, which oftentimes can be the most challenging? Yeah, this is very interesting because as we were talking about the complexity, you know, here are some numbers that maybe your listeners may not have seen somewhere, but we have about 570 million farms in the world. We have 10 million factories for the world's 8 billion people. So moving product from one place to the other is a very complex challenge. And that's where the transportation industry comes into play. And when you look at transportation, it has changed beyond recognition. Just for example, earlier, everything was shipped in what is called bulk cargo, that is not in a container. And that's not just the crude oil and the grains and all that, but everything got shipped. In 1955, there was a guy called Malcolm McLean who created what your listeners might have seen on uh, flatbed trucks on highways in America, they are called containers and they come in various sizes, but shipping time has been reduced by 84%. Costs have come down a third because of this containerization that happened. So the way these containers are transported across oceans is also changed dramatically. I mean, you look at the size of the ships that these containers are loaded in, they're just mind-boggling in terms of size. One of these ships can hold what we call a 20 feet equivalent. That's the size of that container, 24,000 of them. And so if you see them stacked inside a ship, there is like 25 stories or 25 levels of these containers. So it's like you are in a 30-story building on a ship, and that is transporting this thousands of miles across the ocean. So just the scale of this is just mind-boggling. You know, even if you look at other modes of shipment like aircraft, there are 2,000 planes that just are moving product across the world these days. And there are 20,000 passenger planes. This is also some interesting fact, is that passenger planes are only half passenger and the bottom hole is really for cargo. So there is a lot of complexity there. Then there are roads and rails and water pipelines, so many different modes in which product is transported. So the whole of supply chain is two things. One is products in motion and products at rest. So you see everywhere nowadays, huge warehouses, distribution centers. If you're driving along any of the highways in America. Now you see on the sides, there are massive buildings that stock and ship product. And if you took all of that and total it up across the world, there's 25 billion square feet of DC space. That's more than three times the size of New York City, where people store products. And so all of this has resulted in the need of technology. And what happens with technology is that there's been a lot of technology improvements over time. We went from computers on laptops to now basically a supercomputer in your pocket in the smartphone. And technology has impacted every aspect of the supply chain. There is 
really the physical part of the supply chain, which is physically moving product from one stage to the other across multiple geographies. And then there's a data supply chain, which is in parallel moving information along with the product. And that is very important because as we discussed, when you have a complex supply chain, you need visibility. You need to know where product is, what's happening to the product in order to be able to take the decisions, the trade-off decisions that are important. There's a lot of technology around how data is gathered these days. You might have heard of the Internet of Things, and these are small devices that are there on everything from the trucks that are moving around. If you are an Amazon customer, Amazon is able to tell you that the truck is eight stops away from delivering the product to you. And they know that because there are visibility systems that track where the product is across every stage of the supply chain. And then if you go to a retailer, for instance, Uniqlo recently came out with a checkout system where you don't even have to scan or do anything. There's no cash register or cashier there. You just dump the clothes into a box. And each of these clothes have what is called a radio frequency device, the same thing that is in your car when you're going through an easy pass machine that automatically debits your credit card for the toll. The same way, these RFID chips automatically tally up what you bought and charge your credit card and you can walk out of the store. So there are so many things like that that are happening Besides the fact that we have visibility, we have automation also. There's robotics inside the physical warehouses. There are AI-based systems, artificial intelligence-based systems that help predict demand and balance supply. So there's a lot of interesting stuff that happens with technology. You ably anticipated one of my thoughts, which is what are some of the impacts of COVID and work from home? I would think the robotics and humanless transfer of physical and data systems has been promoted and sort of emphasized when we had our three years of humans not really being able to be in front of each other. Additionally, under that test tube of being able to try out different things without human beings because we were forced to, companies probably got a sense of different ways of doing things. Which leads to my next question is, as you analyze different companies and different challenges that are out there and different opportunities, what are they doing well and what are they doing wrong? What do you see as an opportunity for improvement along, maybe it's tough to say, obviously depends on what the company does and doesn't do, but what are you seeing as, let's call it a footfall or some sort of screw up that you think is avoidable that many could devote some attention to and maybe improve? Hmm. Yeah, so in my advisory roles, when I talk to companies and look at what they are doing to address these complexities that are coming around the environment, I think one thing I would say is that supply chains sometimes are taken as just operations and they don't need a lot of investment. But investing in the right technologies to support supply chains is critical. It is not essential anymore. It is critical in terms of enabling supply chains to be responsive and resilient. And that's what we saw in the work from home and COVID environment is that the realization that supply chain risk and resilience needs to be addressed became paramount. I think like 40,000 cars sometime in 2022, in September 2022, because they were missing one single part, and that was their badge on the cars. 
And this is the same story with indispensable chip and what they call golden screws, where one part can stop the whole assembly line from delivering a very high value product. And the reason is because technology to track these risks and manage these risks and communicate has not been as invested, especially by manufacturing companies as they should. And nowadays, every company is a digital company, whether they like it or not, because every company is being impacted by the technology, either whether it is internal or external from the market. The other thing I would say is that companies continue sometimes to sell products that are losers, and they pull down their margins to maintain revenues. But it's important to periodically trim and manage the portfolio, not just in terms of improving your margins and becoming more profitable, but complexity adds layers to costs. And if you have a lot of different parts that are not really generating significant additional incremental margin for you, then it's better to be more proactive in getting those losers out of your portfolio and focusing on the more profitable part. So I think these are the things that trip up companies in the sense that they try to plug every hole without realizing that the overall margins are getting impacted. So I I would say, let's think about it this way. Technology and process come together. There is definitely another impact of what is happening here. And this is something that is on everybody's mind is that How is artificial intelligence going to impact on employment and workforce? And I think if you look at the impact, it is going to be pretty dramatic. In fact, I think people can't really imagine how fast this is going to impact us. But this is not necessarily bad, because if you see the overall trends in terms of labor availability and employment, there is a significant aging in the population in the development the developed world and even in China. So as the baby boomers retire and the overall labor supply comes down, automation can take that slack and improve the productivity and create more free time for people. So I don't think it'll have a purely negative impact, but it is certainly going to bring about a lot of change, whether it's in the supply chain or in other areas where people have to do different kinds of jobs than they were used to earlier. And automation, even physical handling of products might become essential. For example, in America, we have 4 million trucks moving product around. And it's a big challenge to find drivers. And we can think about at some point automated self-driving trucks on our highways. In fact, This is supposed to be the safest way of moving product on highways and maybe not in the city environment, but certainly between endpoints in two cities along the highway. You might have in future trucks being driven by automated systems and not drivers. So there is definitely going to be an impact on the supply chain through all these changes. At the board level, for executive teams that are dealing with boards of directors around the logistics and supply chain issues, do you think it's a good idea to have a specific board member who brings expertise on that front? It strikes me that this is a topic that is so broad and covers so many different things that it may slip through the cracks as far as the development of an overall strategy. How do you think about it that way? 
Yeah, I think companies are slowly starting to realize that it's not just the audit function that is managing the risks around the environment. You know, supply chain disruption risk is an ever-present risk which needs to be tackled and managed. The point about technology and investments and not investing in the right technologies is a choice in itself which adds risk. So I think in terms of going forward, there are three things that boards need to get right, which is their access to oversight on technology, on supply chain disruption, risk resilience, but also in terms of cybersecurity. So those three areas, I think, come together. And I think boards will probably start investing more. And I see that happening as well now, investing in adding board members that have that kind of specific skills and the experience to help guide them along the path. Because as we discussed earlier, digital transformation is impacting every company. You know, every company is becoming digital in some way or the other. And the governance of the digital transformation within organizations is important because it is not just internal efficiency. It is the creation of new business models, new products, new ways of reaching customers, which is all part of that whole transformation. There was a time when mostly consumers came to know about products from billboards or from newspaper ads and things like that. But that world has changed dramatically with customized, targeted digital ads that are delivered either on your mobile phone or on your computer or in various other ways. And so I think companies need to look at that in terms of how they manage their internal operations and supply chains, but also how they deliver information and solicit new customers and retain old customers. So all of that means that the boards have to be completely aware of all the environmental changes that are happening and how that impacts that company and manage the risk associated with that, as well as the opportunity. Terrific. Lalit, great stuff. A huge topic. We only probably just scratched the surface, but how do our listeners find you, get a hold of you if they want to learn more? Fraser, I am on LinkedIn. I blog and write on LinkedIn quite a lot, but also I'm on Twitter at Lalit Panda. And I'm also available in conferences and speaking engagements. So happy to connect with some of your listeners who are interested in learning more on LinkedIn. Terrific. Lalit, thanks so much. I'll have all that information on the show notes and we will have you back on as we dive further into this topic. Thank you. Pleasure to talk to you, Fraser, and thank you for inviting me to this stuff. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wealth Actually, hosted by Fraser Rice, author of the book Wealth Actually and a leading private wealth manager. Head on over to wealthactually.com where you can subscribe to this podcast, get your own copy of the Wealth Actually book, and connect with Fraser directly. We'll see you next time on Wealth Actually. Fraser Rice is an employee of Next Capital Management, LLC. This podcast is not investment, legal, or tax advice, nor does it reflect the opinions of Next Capital Management. Any opinions represented in the show are Fraser's individually and not an endorsement of the guests. <laughs>